So let us turn now for our scripture reading. We turn in the New Testament to the Epistle of James and the chapter 2. The Epistle of James, chapter 2. This is the word of the Lord. Let us hear together God's holy word. The Lord help us as we read his word to take it in by faith. The Lord give us faith in his mercy and by his grace and quicken spirits and give newness of life. And those of us who know him already, how much we still know we need him to illumine his word to our hearts. Let us come and read God's word. Let us hear the word of God. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love Thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and if one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac, his son, 
upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord be pleased to bless that public reading of his precious infallible, inerrant, and sacred word, all to the glory of his name and to the good of our needful and never-dying souls. Let us pray. Let us draw near. Well, dear friends, I ask you to please turn your prevalent attention to that portion of God's word that I read to you in your hearing there in the epistle of James. It is called, you notice in the title there, the General Epistle of James. That is because it is written to many scattered early Jewish believers throughout the various regions. To the twelve tribes we read there which are scattered abroad. These typically are going to be Jewish believers. And of course amongst them would be uh, the Gentiles who were joined with them to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. The penman here, should we say, of course, James, is given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. James is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do we mean by that? Well, we mean by this that they didn't share the same earthly father. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ's father is his father in heaven, but he was conceived, was he not, by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. And so they are half-brothers in that sense. They shared the same mother. Now James was greatly persecuted in his day by the Jews. Legend has it that he was thrown off the top of the pinnacle of the church and basically clubbed to death with a fuller's club. Many of the early Christians suffered martyrdom for the sake of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to ask uh, the question and I want to answer the question that I ask tonight. What is true saving faith? Well, we've read about faith and what it is and what it is not in this chapter. What is it to be a Christian? Of course, a man is saved by grace through faith, but is a man... Saved alone by faith? That's the question. Now, it's a, it's a bit of a loaded question, could I say. Let me say it this way. Faith is never alone. I want in these meetings, and the Lord has particularly laid my burden upon my heart, I believe. Because I believe that there are many that perhaps believe that they are saved. But the evidence needs to be examined. Now it's not for me to say whether a man is saved or not. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, had to say, examine yourselves 
whether you're in the faith. And I think so much of the gospel has been preached. Many of you know the way of salvation. And in case you've missed it, let me just briefly cover the way of salvation. What is it to be saved? How is a man saved? Well, first of all, we could say rightly that a man is saved by Jesus Christ alone. It is by that one person. The Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, in other words, no boy, no girl, no old man, no young man, can come to the fathers. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. He is the only way of salvation. In fact, the apostle tells us that there is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. It is by his death as he died in the room in the stead of all that would ever believe upon him. Never mind. Don't try to work out whether you're elect or not. We're considering this matter of faith. Do you have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it look like? Is your faith rest solely upon the finished work of Jesus Christ? That's the question. And you might answer a resounding, yes, my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That might be your creed, and it is a good creed. It is the only creed. We cannot be saved by our works. We cannot be saved by another religion. It is by the life that he lived, earning a righteousness for his people. And he is given that name in Jeremiah. This is the name whereby we shall be saved. Jehovah Sikinu, meaning the Lord, our righteousness. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And then he tells us first to the Jew, then to the Greek, and so on. For in this gospel, for therein, the righteousness of God is revealed, and it's revealed by faith. What is that righteousness? It's the righteousness of God's Son. Not your righteousness, but his righteousness. And Paul tells us in Romans 5, if by his death we're saved, how much more by his life? In his death, he secured the pardon of all of God's people. In his death, he died in their stead, in their room. He died for his sheep. And you believe that. Maybe you've come to believe that and really know that. And maybe you can, you can explain the gospel crystal clear to people and maybe you know that. And that's a good thing. That's a blessed thing. 
If your hope is there, let me say, if your hope is, is not there, I go no further with you. But there must be something else. Because faith is never alone. It is never alone. Now I can take you to passages, if you just notice with me, in Acts 16. You just turn there in your Bibles, the context there is Paul and Silas have been locked up in the prison and they've been indeed beaten badly by the prison guard. And all of a sudden the Lord sends a massive earthquake. And that prison is opened up. And there we find the prison guard fell on his knees. What have they been doing? They've been singing the praises of God while they've been locked up after being beaten because they're trusting in the living God. What a witness that must have been to those around. But you notice in verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice saying, and by the way, the prison guard is about to take his own life because he thinks now because all the prisoners have escaped, this earthquake has happened. And by the way, in those days, if the prisoner escaped, it would be on the head of the prison guard. And he says, Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Simple. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, believing in his person, in his work, in his life, in his death, as the substitute for his people. Yes, Believing, simply trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. But friends, I must caution again. While this is absolutely crystal clear and true, this salvation, as James highlights for us, is far more than a mental assent to the truth. Now, without a mental assent and comprehension of the facts, there can be no salvation. Without a knowledge and seeing the need for a substitute, there can be no salvation. So please do not mistake what I have to say here this evening. That is vital that we see, that we understand that believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely essential to salvation. But again, faith is never alone. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is never alone. Let me take you, first of all, to Matthew chapter 7 and the verse 13. And I say all these things because my text this evening is really based here in 
James chapter 2, verse 17 through to the verse 20. And we'll look at those words in a minute. And I want you to see that as we've been singing in our hymn about salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, being saved is being renewed in our souls. Salvation is not simply a believing, but it is a believing to the effect that salvation believing leads on in a particular way of life. Matthew 17, verse 13. Now, let me just give you a little introduction before we come to the verse 13. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ is contrasting mere hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, over and against those who truly are saved and have a knowledge of Jesus Christ in their hearts, and they have repented. Many will say, Lord, Lord, but shall not enter in. Now notice what he says in verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight, literally the word is constricted, is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and there be few that find it. In other words, you see, salvation begins with a narrow way, where the Lord Jesus said, I am the way. And that leads to a narrow life, a narrow walk, a narrow path of principled obedience to Jesus Christ. And that is vital that we see that. Because you come down to the end there of this discourse there upon the Sermon on the Mount. And again, what is he doing? He is contrasting over against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those who truly are saved. They have genuine faith, saving faith. As we will see tonight, even the devils believe. But can the devils be saved? No, the devils can't be saved. They're not saved. But you notice, he says in verse 21, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that what doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works, and then I will preface unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now notice he gives the analogy. What is the analogy? One man is literally called a fool. And actually the word in the Greek is the word moron. He builds his house upon sand. And who is that person? That person is he who hears the word of God. 
and doesn't do it. In other words, there seems to be a believing. But the faith is without substance. There's nothing in the life. Notice verse 24, therefore. See, wherever you see a therefore, it's connecting the previous thought. Isn't it? Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and when the rain descended and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat down on the house, it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And by the way, the Lord Jesus is that very rock, the one who does his word and hears it. That person is on solid ground. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And so on. You see, the issue is this. Who of these men were saved? The one that did the will of Christ. You see, the narrow door leads to a narrow life. And I feel I must, the Lord has laid this heavily upon my spirit. Over these last few weeks, there are many who I'm afraid, if they carry on in the way that they are, will hear those words, I never knew you. They will say, Lord, Lord, let us in. He will say, depart from me. You were self-deceived. You lived a life for yourself. You never loved me. You never loved my people. You never loved my church. You loved this world. You didn't care what I had to say. You didn't care about the narrow way. You wanted it your way. You wanted to live your life, your style of Christianity. That's what you wanted, not my way. And they will hear, depart from me. Now, James, we've got to come back here to what James says in my verses here. Remembering what faithful Paul and Silas said to that Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Never forget that. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. But remember this at the same time, you can understand the facts about things. You can perceive things yet still be far, far from the kingdom and still a lost person. And may we have a searching of our souls. James, what is the whole context of the epistle of James? He is writing to those who are suffering great persecution. So different even to our easy day of living. Let me ask you, were any of us thrown in jail this past week? For believing in Jesus Christ. Were any lives threatened. 
Now there's going to be a test of your Christianity, right? Well, that's how it was in these days. There were many that were suffering for the sake of Christ. And the whole context of this epistle, by the way, is written, it's a general epistle to those who are scattered. And they are suffering for the sake of Christ. But many of them had a mere attachment to the church. And that's very common today. Many people just sort of tag along. But you know, they're not really in the church. And they're not really part of the body of Christ. And you notice some of these people, as we've even read in this epistle, some, when when a wealthy man walked in and had his nice gold rings and fine apparel, they said, "Come, come and sit here. Let me show you some favor. Now, many of these people were poor. And many of them showing favoritism, maybe because they're thinking they're going to, to get something from these people walking in. And they seem to have more respect for the wealthy than for the poor and the needy. And they hadn't really grasped why God's people were suffering for the sake of persecution. James says, do not have faith which is with respect to people. That's not genuine faith. Now he he speaks here in verse 17 and onwards about genuine faith. You want to know, do you have genuine faith? Some serious questions to ask here. He says, first of all, faith without works. Even so faith, if it hath not works. In other words, if, if you can't see the substance of that faith in somebody's life, he says it's dead. It's nothing really there. It's not, it's not of God being alone. You say you have faith, you say you believe, but there's no change of your life. You think like the world. You speak like the world. You, you act like the world. The world thinks a lot of the movie stars and celebrities. And doesn't look at people concerning their souls. It's not concerned about God, not concerned about heaven, not concerned about holiness. Where are your thoughts? Well, he says, Yea, a man say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. That's what James says. You want to see real faith? You see somebody that is in a narrow way. You see, he's gone through the narrow gate. Christ is the door. And you enter in by that door and you start to see a new life. You start to see works. You follow what I'm saying? You start to see a changed life. Yea, a man may say thou hast faith, faith, And I have works, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, verse 19, thou doest well. My friend, let me say this. If you read Romans chapter 1, it's quite clear that God has manifested himself to the world. That's actually what Paul says. God has showed it to them. God has shown that he is God by his 
divine attributes by the things that he has made. And therefore they are without excuse. When you do well, all you've done is just acknowledged God's power and his glory and his Godhead in creation. Don't pride yourself on that. Everybody should know that there is a God. Don't even take pride in that. Now do us well. The devils also believe. You remember when the Lord Jesus Christ came and there he is. And there is legion. There in Mark chapter 5. What wouldst thou have to do with us? The devils believe. And even they tremble. But notice what he says, verse 20. But wilt thou know? And these are quite condemning words. O vain man. If you think that a mere belief without a changed life means you have salvation. He says, O vain man, would thou know that faith without works is dead? The devils recognized Christ when they saw him. And even an unsaved man can recognize the truth when he hears it. It's a solemn thing, isn't it? A very solemn thing. And so the subject this evening is saving faith. Now I know the scriptures say, 1 John 5, 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And we are told that everyone that loveth him begat him, that loveth him also is begotten of him. To truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah, one has to be born of God. I mean really believe. To the extent that your life is changed by that belief. We were thinking in the care home with our dear elderly friends this afternoon. About that time in Luke chapter 5 when the Lord Jesus Christ steps in that little ship with the disciples. And Peter is complaining, Lord. And the Lord says to them, come on, let's go out. And Peter says, Lord, but we've been toiling all night. The Lord says, put out the nets. Peter says, I'll put out the net, singular. Well, he put the net out when they got out there. The boat's almost sunk with fish. It was then at that moment that it dawned upon Peter who he was dealing with, or rather who was dealing with him. You see, if you really believe, my friend, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you start listening to what he says in his word. At that moment, Peter, he fell down amongst the fishes, we are told. He fell down and said, Lord, depart from me, for I am an unclean man. You see, when, when you really have faith and God has truly revealed to you who Jesus Christ is, the door, and that door has been opened up unto you who should be shut out of heaven, 
and should be shut in hell, you will start to do what he says in his word and you stop questioning him. And every command becomes your delight. You see that? That's the changed life. And he reveals himself to you. And your heart is pricked. And you come before him as a guilty sinner. And you see him in your mind's eye, bleeding to death upon that cross. His face marred more than any other man's. His visage so bruised, so contused. His back furrowed, his hands pierced, who is God the Son, who is suffering and dying. You claim to have faith in him. You say to your heart, how can I ever disobey him in my life? How can I? There's faith in him, isn't it? You realize that he loves you. And every word he gives to you is for your good and to the benefit of your soul. And you're saved. You're saved not only because he bore the curse for you as a believer, but because his commandments, you have to say with John, they're not grievous to me. I believe that he means good in my life. When he commands me to do something, it's for, first of all, for his glory. And why would I never want to glorify him? Why would I ever want to dishonor him? And why would I ever want to hurt my soul in disobeying Jesus Christ? You see, friend, we sang, didn't we, in that hymn of Isaac Watts, Thy noblest wonders here we view. This is in his word. In souls renewed and sins forgiven. You see, when God forgives you of your sin, he doesn't just forgive you of your sin, but your soul is renewed. And then we sing, Lord, cleanse my sins, my soul renew." And make thy word my guide to heaven. You see, being saved and believing is not simply just knowing your pardon for sin. But the Lord Jesus actually saves you from the power of sin in your life. Do you get it? I hope I'm not trying to oversimplify it. But this is something that is so vastly missed out in the preaching of God's word today. And I feel preachers are so guilty of this because we've tried to, to, to make it so easy and so simple. It is easy. It is simple in a way. But the Lord Jesus doesn't simply save us from hell, but he saves us from sin. That's what it is to be saved. 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Saved not from simply hell, but from your sins, my friend. To a new life. To love him. To glorify him. To honor him. That's the life, isn't it? That's the real life. If you simply want to be saved from hell, my friends, I have to say in the most loving and tender terms, you're not a Christian. A Christian wants to be saved from the sins that grieve God. He hates a life of sin. Yes, he does sin. Please don't get me wrong. The Christian does do wrong. Every day he feels it. And the more strident his steps are to heaven, the, more, the faster he seems to run, the more sin he finds. And he cries therefore with Paul, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? My friends, don't you think I wake up every day feeling that and saying that in my own heart that I am a wretch of a man and every Christian in their right mind would be saying that. But what do we do? We go back to the cross. We see our Savior bleeding there for us. You know, when I look at myself, said Martin Luther, I can't see how God could save me. But he said, but when I look at the cross, I see how God can save me. And how he does save me. You see, the Lord has always said in his word, look unto me and be saved. You see, the more we look inwardly, the more we despair. But the more we despair, we go back to the cross. And we lean upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. Do you not see that? The Christian is the one striving against sin. And yet his only hope is Jesus Christ. He never hopes in his work. He never trusts in his work. And yet he, he knows that here's the proof of his salvation. His faith is never alone. It always, as James says, has works. Always. The changed life. The close there of Matthew 7, what does the Lord say? Whoever heareth my sayings and does them is like unto a wise man who's built his house upon a rock. And you know what? The storms of life and the troubles will come. And you're seeking to try to do the things of God. And you find that there's nothing but weakness there. But what are you doing constantly? You're going back to the cross and you... You're believing upon Jesus Christ. And that you look at your life. And the Lord even says there in Matthew 25, 
that these are my people. He says, who are they? And they're surprised at that great day of judgment where the sheep and the goats are divided. And the sheep are surprised. Because the Lord said, didn't he? Whatsoever you did for the least of these, you did it for me. How do we know that we have works? Let me ask some of the questions that we find in the Scriptures. What are these works of righteousness in the life? It's a good question to ask. First of all, do you love to hear the Word of God? That's blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. What else did he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, they don't mind me saying the things that I've said tonight. In fact, the things that I'm saying resonate with them. They see nothing good in themselves. They poor in spirit. They meek. Somebody that is meek is not weak. He's prepared to call out sin when there is sin, but he knows full well in his own heart. That same sin can rise up in his own soul. And so therefore he's very meek with other people. And he hungers and he thirsts for righteousness and he loves to come and he loves to hear the word of God. Let me ask you the question, is it a fight to get you here into this place of worship? Is it? Do people have to cajole you? And almost put the guilt complex on you to come here? Is it your delight to hear the word of God? If not, friend, let me say this, your faith is in vain. Because you're not hungering, you're not thirsting after righteousness. What about God's commandments? Of course, we don't keep them perfectly. But John does tell us very clearly in his word, in the word of God, about God's people, what they are like, how they think. First John 3, sorry, First John 2, verse 3, And hereby do we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. And by the way, John goes on to tell us that his commandments are not grievous. They don't hurt you. When you do them, it might be difficult at first. But when you get to chapel and you start to hear the word of God, you think, my, what a silly fool I was to sit at home and wonder whether I should come along tonight. How blessed I am to come and to praise God, to hear his word, and to delight my soul in Jesus Christ. John says, hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. Oh, my friend, you can lie to yourself. The Pharisees were doing it. The Sadducees were doing it. The religious Jews were doing it. And there are many that will say, you know what? I I don't need to keep God's commandments. You're just a legalist, Mr. Legalist. And uh, by the way, the, the church is full of hypocrites. I heard somebody say recently, the church, so why should I? I don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't need to be a, a Christian to go to church. Well, what does the Bible say? He that keepeth not his commandments is a liar. You've got no desire to be here. 
You don't want to learn. You don't want to grow in the grace. You don't want to submit. You say, I'll live my kind of Christianity. I'll not follow the rules God has given in his word. Well, God calls you a liar, not me. John tells us in John 3.14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Let me ask you, let me ask you, in the quietness of your own heart, who are your closest companions? Or who are your companions? Do you love to be amongst God's people? Because if you don't, your faith is questionable. Hear me. Even the devils believe. But your faith is questionable if you don't love God's people. Now, God's people will tell you the truth. They're not going to lie to you, are they? They're going to tell you in love. They're going to speak the truth in love. They're going to tell you if there's a sin, if there's a problem. And they like to be told, by the way. If there's something wrong with their life, they want to hear it. Of course, they want to hear it in love. And we should always speak in love, one to another. Do we have faith, friends? Yes. You've got to enter in the door, Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, friends, when you enter in through that door, it's his way or the highway. Hear me again. It's his way or the broad road that leads to destruction. If Jesus Christ is Christ to you, you will obey him. Let me show you a verse. If you turn with me to the close of the book of the Revelation. I want you to see these solemn words. Verse 14 of Revelation 22. You might think, Pastor Hetherington, this is the most bizarre way of preaching the gospel. Well, I don't know another gospel, friends than a gospel that saves you from your sins. My gospel saves me not from hell only, but from sin. Notice verse 14, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in, through the gates into the city. And that would be the celestial city, by the way, heaven. Is this a salvation by works? No. It's a salvation that works. I want to ask you the question, is the Lord Jesus Lord to you? Or is he just some religious teacher 
Is he somebody that you just merely tag on to the end of your life? Or you say, well, I'll, I'll decide to follow him how and when I will. The Lord Jesus said, unless a man deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He cannot be my disciple. You see what the text says here? Blessed are they that do his commandments. They're not saved. Let me say it. Let me emphasize, please. They're not they are not saved by the doing of the commandments. But the fact that they do them, remember what he said in Matthew 7, is proof that they really believe him. And they trust him. And they put their own life to one side. And they say, Lord, you're Lord. From now on. And I lose my life. For your sake, Lord. I can think of nothing more important at the moment. I need to examine my own heart as if everybody here does. We may have a knowledge of the truth. But James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus, in fact, he says, the servant of Jesus Christ, he says, faith without works is dead. And he says, a man is not just justified by his faith. If that faith, as he says, is without works, guess what? Your faith is in serious question, and more than likely, it's dead. And it's the faith of the demons. And Satan has deceived you. Get down on your knees and ask God to change you. To reveal the real Lord Jesus. Those demands, they're not too hard for us. Because you know what? He gives grace to obey them. When he commands something, he gives grace at the same time. He gives all the strength. What did he say to the man lying down on the stretcher? Rise up! Can't do it. But you see, his voice comes with power. We do it. That's newness of life, isn't it? Do you have it? Have you seen the real Jesus? If you have, you will follow him. I believe that. You will. If he really has revealed himself to you, my friend, you will follow him. Wherever he sends you, whatever he tells you to do, believe on him and you shall be saved. Never forget that. It's essential you do. And trust only, not in your works. Never trust in your works. Your works, in fact, are a proof that you really have trusted in him. Even the man on the cross, he had works. He rebuked his friend. What did he say to his friend? This man hath done nothing amiss, but we are receiving a just reward. He was showing the work of humility. 
He was showing the work that he trusted alone in Jesus Christ. That man never did a thing for God. Until that time, God gave him strength to die in faith. May God give us that. If we have seen Christ. Amen. There's a lovely hymn. We don't have it in our hymn book, but let me read it to you. It's by Joseph Hart. It's in Gatsby's. Just listen to the words. Vain man to boast forbear. The knowledge in thy head. The sacred scriptures this declare, faith without works is dead. When Christ the judge shall come to render each his due, he'll deal thy deeds their righteous doom and set thy works in view. Food to the hungry give, give to the thirsty drink. To follow Christ is to believe, dead faith is but to think. The man that loves the Lord will mind whatever he bid. That's what Christ bids. Will pay regard to all his word and do as Jesus did. Isn't that true? Not perfectly, but it will be there in the life. Do you love God's people? Have you spent time with them? Do you forsake the gathering? Don't do these things, friends. It's a mark that your faith is dead, if that's the case. May God give a living, a real faith in his Son.